Don't wish it were easier. Wish you were better. Jim Rohn. Chapter 35. Personal Investments Create Impact. Investing is critical for sustainable wealth and keeping our health in check. When you put aside time to support your overall well-being, you grant yourself the keys to unlock experiences that a life of complacency can't offer. Life demands us to be at our best, and we can only serve our most profound desires when we're in proper alignment. Invest in your mental, physical, and financial well-being to create impact through excellence. Taking time to invest in your fitness is key to maintaining sustainable progress. The healthier you are, the more you can accomplish without fear of falling back. Fitness should not be an option but a priority for success. Recognize the incredible value of fitness and building physical resilience way before injury or sick days occur. Furthermore, finding a sustainable fitness routine and being mindful of your nutrition is critical. Remember, how you treat your body today will pay dividends tomorrow. Utilize the power of fitness to crush weakness-drawn illnesses, elevate creativity, and promote incredible confidence. Money makes the world go around, and even minimalists can't avoid the power of personal finance. Minimalism, the art of living with less, celebrates the idea that appreciating less creates happiness. However, the key word is less and not nothing. Unless you're off the reservation and your best friend is a volleyball with a smiley face, you most likely depend on money to keep living and enjoying life. Financial investments are necessary to allow you to do more of what you love. When you build your financial foundation, you can make better choices and strike when opportunities arise. Furthermore, abundant capital frees time to pursue your personal goals and share memorable experiences with your connections. Take a tip from the minimalists and learn the value of saving now to gain access to unique life experiences in the future. Your currency can create positive change, so make your investments count. Take care of yourself to prioritize people that give your life meaning. Appreciate the power of assets and find opportunities to spend gratuitously towards the people you love. Invest intentionally and create impact through personal investments. How's it, everyone? My name is Mike Kabuko, and welcome to another episode of the Love Notes for Life podcast, your creative space for amplifying greatness through gratitude. So, in a couple of weeks, I'm heading down Nanda to Australia and New Zealand. I'm super stoked. And it's definitely been a hot minute since I've traveled for holiday, since I've moved here to Washington. However, one thing that I'm not looking forward to is how ridiculously long the flight is. Approximately 18 hours and change? Yuck. But it's all good. And thankfully, I've got a layover in Honolulu before making the long and arduous trip to the Southern Hemisphere. I know, first world problems, right? (laughs) But trust me, if you think that's bad, wait until we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. But anyways, Australia and New Zealand, two places that hold a significant spot on my dream bucket list. I've always dreamed of making the trip because of my interest in the VFX and concept art industry. 
And yes, I love and respect the cultural aspects of both places, but it's quite difficult not to talk about New Zealand and the Lord of the Rings in the same sentence. <laughs> I mean, how can you not travel to New Zealand and imagine you're Frodo Baggins and you're on the way to save the world? And aside from the picturesque landscapes, it's also home to Weta Workshop, also on my bucket list, the visual and practical effects studio that worked on some of my favorite films, such as Blade Runner 2049, Avatar, The Hobbit, and the legendary Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> I'm definitely looking forward to visiting their studio in Wellington and hopefully bumping into some of my favorite artists. And Australia, lovely Sydney, Australia. Before I say another word, I'm going to preface my thoughts with the disclaimer that I am an American, and I confess that I've had a very whimsical view of Australia. Mind you, before I started researching my trip to Sydney, I thought the outback was just a hop, skip, and jump away from the city. But then I looked at the map and realized that the heart of the Australian outback was about a 10-hour drive from Sydney. <laughs> yeah, I'll think I'll pass for now. And here's another one. I thought, well, more like I assumed, that kangaroos and wallabies would be as common as the deer roaming around the outskirts of Sacramento, California. Well, I'm sure you've all guessed it. That's just not the case. However, I've made up a contingency plan to ensure I hit up Taronga Zoo, hopefully I said that right, and hopefully catch a sight of the wild kangaroos that are frolicking at the Australian Botanic Garden. <laughs> Now, all of this wouldn't have been possible without a few nice things that happened earlier in this year. For one, it's quite nice that I can now afford to do these trips because of the new J-O-B and the new salary, and it's finally nice that I can plan these trips without feeling like it's a life or death situation, financially speaking. And the second nice thing that happened was as a patron for US Soccer, I received the opportunity to get tickets to the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup. Since 2021, I've been an avid backer for the US national team, and it's been a pleasure to witness the rise in interest and investment towards women's soccer over the past few years. And better yet, this year's World Cup is definitely going to be one for the books, because the competition is unreal this year. So it's definitely going to be a treat to finally experience my first World Cup, to witness soccer greatness in two different countries, and hopefully secure another win for the U.S. So best of luck to the U.S. women's national team, get the work done, stay competitive, and most importantly, enjoy the moment and have fun. So traveling is such an eye-opening experience, and I know if your job requires you to travel frequently, you'd probably beg to differ, and eventually, like everything else, if you do it too often, it tends to become more work than fun. However, traveling really helps refine our perspective, and in most cases, gives you a little kick of gratitude. Yet, it does come with some challenges, especially if your life revolves around fitness. For instance, traveling for vacation is a positive disruption. <laughs> How's that conundrum for you? <laughs> but in all seriousness, while being on holiday allows you to experience new things, it also comes with the inevitable surprise of journeying into the unknown. I mean, Elsa of Arendelle knows best, but being on the go limits your ability to rely on meal preps and leaning on your handy-dandy weight scale. Furthermore, strength training also becomes a challenge, especially when you have limited access to weights. And if you fall into the mindset that you need to train on vacation at the expense of actually enjoying your vacation, then it does raise a pivotal question. 
Did you really need to leave home and leave the country just to spend 80% of your time training on vacation? Well, I'm not one to question the choices of others, but I am one to question my own choices. And a few years back, I made the silly mistake of prioritizing my training over actually enjoying my time on vacation. So back in 2021, after the COVID travel restrictions were finally getting lifted, my parents, relatives, and I decided to restart our annual trips to Hawaii. Mind you, this was winter 2021, and I was about four months into my fat loss phase. And at the time, I was so resilient with my nutrition and training. I was extremely stubborn, and nothing was going to stop me from achieving my goals, even a nice week in Hawaii. So we were on Oahu, staying on the leeward side of the island, and my days would start off just like back home. I brought my scale, I did my morning weigh-ins, tracked it in my fitness tracker, and couldn't start the day without my AM training sessions. In addition, you could find me meticulously tracking my nutrition at every place we ate at, and I restricted myself from all of my favorite foods. I was so afraid of regression and losing the momentum I gained towards losing fat. I was afraid that if I deviated from the all-or-nothing mindset, my life would revert backwards, and I'd end up back where I started. However, what I didn't consider was that my fitness goals of getting healthier and improving my body composition weren't just short-term goals. Rather, these goals were meant for the long run. And funny enough, it was only recently that I started to really understand what the hell goals are. I mean, think of it this way, and I think this analogy is quite fitting since the World Cup is going on. But let me ask you this. Do you think that for everyone on the World Cup roster, if they knew that their overarching goal was going to take a decade or more, no matter what, would they treat every day with a red line mentality? And do you think they would push themselves so hard knowing that the increased fatigue can lead towards extended periods of injury? And my conclusion may surprise you all, but I believe there are two answers. Yes and no, not or. So when we look at the landscape of high performers, it's hard to deny that they imbue a winner's mindset mentality. They tend to operate in the high-risk zone because great goals do require higher associated costs driven by competition. However, they also know when to hit the gas or feather the brakes. They understand the fundamental balance between patience and being relentless. And playing the long game is a vital consideration for everyone regardless of discipline. So let me ask you this question. Are you a workaholic? No. It's actually pretty fun because I am. (laughs) And I know that if I'm not careful, I usually burn out quickly and get into a major slump where I start blanking out and my brain feels tense. And it ain't the best when you finally hit a brick wall, figuratively, of course. And over time, I've learned to catch myself when I start feeling funky and remember to surface for fresh air. It's taken a while, maybe longer than necessary, but I've learned to listen to my body's cues and know when's the right time to tap out, deload, take a break, and recover. So being a high performer is great, but know when enough is enough. And balancing nutrition and training begins at the halfway point of necessity versus flexibility. It's important to identify the difference between immediate goals versus long-term goals. For example, If you're one week out of a competition that requires you to be at a certain weight or body composition, then yes, by all means, be very meticulous about your training and nutrition. However, if you've got the time to work towards your goals, then you can totally approach this with a lot more flexibility. So let's start with nutrition. 
to track or not to track? That is the question. Well, I'm a data-driven individual, so it's kind of in my blood to track everything, and I love seeing how the data reflects my nutrition profile. For me, when I'm traveling, you can guarantee that I'll be tracking my nutrition on MacroFactor, but with one major caveat. Even though I'll be tracking everything to the best of my ability, there's no freaking way that I'll be hitting my target 100%, especially when I'll be jumping between different time zones, most likely eating out, and will pretty much be guesstimating my logbook based on experience. Sure, I'll be bringing my food scale for meals that I prep at the Airbnb, but I'm kind of done with being the person that brings this food scale at a restaurant. Yes, I was that guy for a time, and there's nothing wrong with it if that floats your boat. But I'm kind of done with floating that boat, and nowadays I just want to upgrade to a yacht. Something a little bit more fancier. Anyways, so I think the most important takeaway is that if you're tracking your nutrition, do your best, but don't sweat it. And as far as macros go, I tend to be more biased towards looking for food options that are more protein-focused. Oftentimes, I find that most restaurants typically fluff up their meals with carbohydrates and fats. I mean, it's an easy way for restaurants to keep their costs down while providing a highly palatable plate for the average consumer. So when I look at the menu, I try to target meals high in protein or at least equal in macros towards carbs. For example, an ideal meal for me would be high in carbs, high in proteins, and low on fats. That distribution typically works out well for me but I think it's a pretty decent recommendation when you're out on the go. And take advantage of packing and bringing food with you. There's nothing wrong with packing boxes of protein bars to bring with you on your trip. I know for me, the first night I arrive in Sydney, I'll be definitely doing a grocery run to pick up some protein snacks, local treats, and of course some food to cook at the Airbnb. But don't get me wrong, I'm definitely going to be enjoying the top local food spots, but cooking at home is just something that gives me a little peace of mind. Again, specificity and preference. If you don't have access to a kitchen or the ability to cook food at the place you're staying at, then just play it smart while you're out and about. Try to hit your macros as best as possible, and be mindful of your hunger cues and when you're feeling full. Which brings me to this neat publication by UC Berkeley called the Hunger Satiety Scale. So, in essence, the hunger satiety scale is ranked from 1 to 10, where 10 is extremely stuffed, and 1 is that moment when you're so depleted and hungry that you can't even emotionally process the world around you. <laughs> Anyways, the sweet spot is to stay in the blue zone, which is represented from 4 to 7. So 4 would be like your stomach growling and you also feel hungry. The keyword is and because there are instances when that growling sound is just a result of air and fluid moving through your digestive tract, and not a case when your stomach is actually technically growling at you to say, feed me. <laughs> and then on the upper end of the blue zone is seven, which means you're full, but not uncomfortable. So think of it this way. Have you ever been to a buffet? You know, that halfway point where you're pretty much full, but then you remember that you came there to get your money's worth and you're not leaving until you feel like you ate $100 worth of food. So with that awesome rationale, you head back to the buffet area and start loading up another two plates with whatever your heart desires. Yeah, that's pretty much the point where you've crossed over level 7 and you've entered the YOLO era. So try your best to keep it in the blue zone. And if you got a few nights where you want to live it up, don't sweat it. Enjoy the moment and get back on track the following day.
So now, what to do with training while traveling? Ah yes, the lifeblood of an athlete. So as I mentioned earlier, I was a bit extreme with my training, even on holiday, back in the days. If a hotel had a gym, you could bet that I'd be there. However, what if your hotel doesn't have a gym? Or nowadays, what if you're staying at an Airbnb? Well, one option is to find a local gym that offers day passes. Usually these are near city centers, but sometimes you might be lucky to find one within walking distance to the place you decide to stay at. But what if that gym is just too far away? Then at that point, I'd probably ditch that idea and find ways to do more bodyweight type of training. Or for my strength folks out there, maybe this is actually a good time to get back into that much needed cardio that you've been neglecting. Yeah, you can't run away from that. And I know I could use some cardio to get my breath work better. Which brings me to my last point regarding nutrition and training. I think this is a pretty good general piece of advice, but remember this one. Treat your vacation as vacation. If it's a work trip, that's totally different. But if you're on vacation, then treat it like vacation. If you can hit all your fitness goals while on vacation, then great, fantastic. But if training starts to get in the way of your vacation, then it might be a sign from the universe to just deload and take it easy. Again, necessity versus flexibility. And if you've got the time to work towards your goals, then take it. You already know the value of deloads in recovery weeks. So take advantage of the situation and give yourself the freedom to enjoy this once-in-a-lifetime experience. And lastly, on one final note to team workaholics. You'll probably be sneaking in work during your vacation. Because, let's face it, Work is fun, especially when you enjoy what you're doing. And you'll probably be overthinking your nutrition and feeling a bit antsy without optimal training. However, consider this. You're in this for the long haul, and one week will not set you back. The weights and empty training logs will be waiting for you when you get back. Remember, life is a dynamic experience meant to be lived, not observed. So, I hope today's episode offered some decent suggestions towards being flexible with your fitness. We all want to succeed, no doubt, but success is built over time. So enjoy the moments, get the work done when you can, and always focus on building greatness through progress. Thanks y'all for tuning in to another episode of the Love Knows for Life podcast. I look forward to continuing this conversation of awareness and amplifying greatness through gratitude. If you're enjoying the Love Notes for Life podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple, and other major podcast platforms. The Love Notes for Life apparel and book is now available at lovenotesforlife.com. For the latest updates, be sure to track the mindset by following me at Mike Kabuko on Instagram or Twitter. Thanks y'all for the support, and always remember, there is beauty in knowing that there is only one of you. Take care.